back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history through the lens of historical Chinese dramas. I'm your host, Kathy. It'll just be me today. Today we will discuss episode 69 of the story of Minglan or This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or else reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter. Please do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us to. If you're new to the podcast, please check out our intro to the podcast and intro to the drama episodes. As we normally do for our podcast episodes, we will do a drama recap and then talk about the culture and or history reference in the drama, and finally end with some book differences. We are nearing the finish line with our drama with just five episodes left. I thought rather hard about how best to recap this episode because ultimately the short of it is that the Empress Dowager gathered all of the enemies in Gu Tingye's life to lie about what he's done in order to bring him down. Issue is that there's not a great stopping point for this episode and the next, so we'll discuss each episode on its own, but it's very much a collective story. In episode 68, the Empress Dowager had gathered a rather impressive retinue of people intent on bringing down Gu Tingye, and in this episode, we see the plans come to fruition. This episode is rather straightforward, but I will point out a few things you may not have been paying attention to, and then move on to the history and minimal book differences. Or actually, a lot of book differences. (laughs) So, who is in the Empress Dowager's camp? We have Madame Qin, Gu Tingye's stepmother, Grandma Wang, who is Madame Wang and Aunt Kong's mother, concubine Liu, a concubine of the emperor whose son is now under the care of the Empress Dowager, and Bai Dalang, Gu Tingye's cousin on his mother's side, who is solely focused on inheriting the Bai family wealth. The episode begins with Gu Tingye meeting up with his good friend Prince Huan at a brothel to tell him about what issues might come up in the future. Gu Tingye bluntly tells Prince Huan that he was the one who killed Aunt Kong, but it was warranted. The prince tells him off for his rash actions and storms off. As soon as he leaves, we see a woman entering the rooms. This is not fully explained, but that is Wei Hangshou, the prostitute that is on good terms and is friendly with Gu Tingye. Take a close look at his reaction to hearing her come into the room. He glances back towards her and then forward again to follow the gaze of where the prince left with a knowing look in his eyes. It is important to keep this in mind because why on earth would Gu Tingye specifically pick this brothel to meet the prince for this chat? It most definitely was a choice. Elsewhere, the Gu family, fourth uncle and aunt have decided to recontinue their alliance with Madame Qin, while the fifth uncle and aunt lean the other way and is supporting Minglan and Gu Tingye. 
Originally, the fourth uncle and aunt didn't want to side with Madame Qin, but it turns out their son, who was exiled, committed yet another crime while out there. That's... Uh, I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> the fourth uncle and aunt think that if they work with Madame Qin, they're able to bring back their son. I highly doubt that anything can be done because the son clearly committed multiple crimes, but I guess that's what their parents or his parents think um, the power at B or Madame Tsien can help them with. Madame Tsien is very happy to leverage that level of hope for her own purposes. In the conversation with the fourth uncle and aunt though, Madame Tsien was quite blatantly cleaning ceramics gifted by the Empress Dowager as a way to flaunt her connection to this powerful woman. The fourth uncle and aunt did not miss this connection. Well, if anything, the fourth and fifth uncle at least recognize power when it's shown straight to their face. And now, with the pieces all gathered, it's time for the show to start. One morning at court, we hear a drum being beaten by none other than Grandma Wong. She has removed expensive outerwear and is in a rather simple garb. The drum she beats is called Deng Wen Gu, which we will talk about later. With the sound of these beats, she and her son are summoned to the main hall. In front of the entire court, Grandma Wang accuses Gu Tingye of killing her daughter and asks that the emperor help her seek justice. Evidently, she is prepared because she also requests to summon her witnesses, which include Madame Qin, the fourth uncle, and Aunt Kang's son, Kang Jin. Gu Tingye, though, actually smirks when he sees them. He knows there's going to be great theater on display at this point and is willing to play along with them. Grandma Wang is upset that Gu Tingye killed her daughter, and I do not believe she thinks her daughter is entirely not at fault, but because the person who died is her daughter, she's going to seek justice in any way that she can. And that includes lying in front of the entire court about what truly happened the night she died. The story she paints is that Aunt Kong was there to help Ming Lan in the flames, but was ruthlessly murdered by Gu Tingye for no reason other than being a bloodthirsty killer. Gu Tingye, that is. Madame Qin also pipes in to say that the flames were set by Gu Tingye into her son's rooms that then migrated over to his residence. Honestly, there are plenty of holes in the story. Like, why would a random relative run over to help put out the flames? Who was the one to bring her into the property, etc., etc.? But the key point that Grandma Wang is banking on holding the story together is the fact that Gu Tingye will not publicly share why Aunt Kong wants to kill Minglan. Why not? It's because if he shares the truth about Aunt Kong's actions in the Sheng family, the Sheng family would be ruined. Chang Bai, Milan's brother, actually wanted to step in and share the truth, but both his father, Sheng Hong, and Gu Tingye cut him off before he could share any more. Without this crucial piece of the story, people are led to believe that Aunt Kong had no reason to harm Minglan. And after this back and forth, the emperor demands that the judiciary take 
on this case and investigate the truth. I want to pause here also as well as to why Grandma Wong chose this path. In the last episode, she went to the Empress Dowager to seek justice or seek revenge. And the Empress Dowager kind of told her quite bluntly that she needed to pick a path. And that path was to join her. So in doing so, Grandma Wang knew that she had to put herself in opposition of both Gu Tingye and, by extension, the emperor. Grandma Wang had no other option to seek revenge, so this is the path she chose. This is also a... Mm, how should I say? Smart woman, but... Her blind love for her daughter is has led or will lead her family to ruin. Okay, back outside, Changbai demands to know why Gu Tingye prevented him from speaking up earlier. And all Gu Tingye could do is knock him unconscious. He informs his father-in-law to lock him up and uh, make sure Changbai doesn't say anything stupid. That way, he won't jeopardize the Sheng family any further. It's so funny because <laughs> um, Sheng Hong's like, oh my god, what did you just do to my son? But Gu Tingye is like, I got this covered. At night, Gu Tingye has a heartfelt conversation with Milan about the current environment. The husband and wife pair both apologize for causing each other such trouble with their ill-intended relatives. Each believes they are the ones at fault for creating such a negative environment, with threats coming all the way down from the imperial family themselves. But now, Gu Tingye and Minglan are finally a team. And it's good to see that both of them are kind of working together. They know um, that they want to save this family. So I guess in the midst of all this craziness, at least Gu Tingye and Minglan finally see eye to eye. Aunt Kong's case continues to drag on with the investigation reaching a standstill. Both sides cannot conclusively confirm or deny the motivations of both Aunt Kong and Gu Tingye. The emperor has many meetings with various people who recount the details of the case or else try to persuade him from forgiving Gu Tingye. What is important is that in every single meeting, his head eunuch is standing watch next to the emperor. We don't see the eunuch's facial expression closely, but it is important that he is there, listening to every conversation that the emperor has. And the emperor is becoming increasingly impatient as more details of Gu Tingye's actions are exposed. The case further escalates now with the entire court watching intently for what will happen to Gu Tingye. Qi Hong, who is now over his affections for Minglan, steps over to Gu Tingye and basically states that he's going to be on his side. It's a brief scene, but I appreciate that Qi Hong has finally come to his senses to now help Gu Tingye. Unfortunately, the Empress Dowager has gathered the individuals that would create a hard-hitting blow to Gu Tingye. On this new day at court, Grandma Wang's side includes Madame Qin, bringing forth new accusations to slander Gu Tingye's character. 
They bring up Bai Dalang and none other than Zhu Manyang, Gu Tingye's former fling. I'll be honest, it was painful listening to her screeches again to do this episode recap. The actress is great. She does an amazing job. But I normally skip past this scene. All these people lie through their teeth as to what Gu Tingye has done to them. Bai Dalang accuses Gu Tingye of stealing the Bai family inheritance, while Zhu Manyang screeches that it was Gu Tingye that killed their son and paints Gu Tingye as a monster. It does not look good for him. On Minglan's side, Chang Momo, Gu Tingye's wet nurse and current caretaker of Minglan's son, discovered that someone has been poisoning Minglan's medicine. It's a slow poison, but it will cause her to slowly start losing her mind and eventually die. Hmm, where have we seen this tactic before? Not in this drama, but most certainly, this was quite common in other dramas, such as Empresses in the Palace. This revelation, though, comes as a shock to Milan for sure, but she, thankfully, remains rather calm. She understands that she shouldn't cause a fuss for now, in case any of her actions scare the perpetrator off. Instead, she should investigate in secret to find out who is trying to kill her because it would probably also provide some leads as to who's trying to harm Gu Tingye. We leave the episode with Ming Lan also returning to the Sheng family to stay for a while. Grandma Sheng is of course happy to have her back and Ming Lan is under the impression that Gu Tingye will join her shortly. Little does she know that he is in a world of trouble right now. the episode recap. Before I go into historical analysis, I do want to pause again to um, kind of turn our attention towards the factions at court right now. Gu Tingye is currently by himself because, quite frankly, his faction, including Shen Guozhou and the rest, aren't very much in court's favor. Uh, if we recall, Shen Guozhou, which is the empress's brother, had the whole debacle about um, his mistress uh, usurping the madam of the household and other uh, members of uh, their group are in the midst of other uh, cases or kind of uh, punished elsewhere. So as of right now, Gu Tingye is by himself. The Sheng family with Sheng Hong is worried about their own reputation, so they won't say anything against the Wang family. If we recall the standoff between Minglan and Grandma Wang back when Minglan captured Aunt Kong and uh, was trying to pass sentence, their gamble between the two of them was who was willing or the most willing to um, see their threat go through. And that is what Grandma Wang is doing right now. 
She's banking that Gu Tingye will not say anything about why Aunt Kong uh, deserves to be killed. So she believes that by putting her foot down at court, and of course with the aid of Madame Qin, Gu Tingye will crumble under their accusations. Okay, so why don't we move on to historical uh, analysis? First up, we are going to discuss a bit on post-birth customs in China, or in Chinese it's called zuo yuezi. The literal translation means sitting for a month. The first records of this dates back over 2,000 years ago and is mentioned in the Book of Rites, or li ji, in the book specifically of nei ci. Basically, there are a lot of customs and practices that are supposed to support and aid a woman after childbirth. This includes, as mentioned in the last episode, not washing one's hair, avoid eating cold things, reducing physical labor, etc. Many of these customs extend to today, so the term is still quite common. Um, what is mentioned in Li Ji or the Book of Rights are more like, oh, what the woman has, what the woman's role is in the family, um, but not really like specifically don't drink hot water, etc. Um, those are, uh, those customs have been passed down through millennia. Next one we want to discuss, or I want to discuss, is called the Gao Ming Fu. We will briefly touch upon it today, and this is the formal dress that Madame Qin wears in this episode and Grandma Wang wore in the previous episode when they appeared at court or to meet the Empress Dowager. So the Gao Ming Fu is the formal attire for a, a woman with an official title. If we recall, Gao Ming means an official title and is bestowed on women uh, based on the status of their sons or husbands. Both Madame Qin and Grandma Wang were gifted this title of Gao Ming because of the status of their late husbands. You'll notice that both Grandma Wang and Madame Qin's outfits are darker in color, but nevertheless extravagant. They fit the status of their rank. By choosing to wear her outfit at court, Madame Qin is choosing to display her status and inform the rest of court that she is not to be trifled with. Grandma Wang, however, chose not to wear her formal attire at court because she wanted to portray the uh, grieving mother on, at court for the first, uh, first time she uh, beats the drums. However, if you recall, in the last episode, she chose to wear her formal attire when wearing, uh, when meeting the Empress Dowager to, again, show that respect for the other woman. We won't discuss too much on the outfits today because Minglan will wear one in the next few episodes. So that's when we will discuss the outfits at length and do a comparison. Next, we have Dengwengu, or the... Emergency drum. It's a pretty bad translation, I know, but I couldn't think of anything better than that. The purpose of the drum is to allow common people to raise any emergency cases or raise to the local magistrate's attention if there were any wrongful convictions. Drums were set up all the way back in the Zhou Dynasty over 2,500 years ago, 
and it was referenced in Zhou Li, or the Rites of Zhou, which first appeared in the middle of the 2nd century BC. There are actually references of drums being used even earlier than that, but I couldn't find a specific book that pointed to it. The drum with the name Dongwengu was first referenced in the Book of Jin, or Jin Shu, which was published in the Tang Dynasty around mid-7th century AD. The book recounted the history of the Jin Dynasty, which ruled from 266 to 420 AD. Throughout the course of the dynasties, the importance of the drums also varied. Before the Song Dynasty, regular folk could beat the drums and the case or suggestions would be presented to court. Of course, where the drums were beat also dictated its importance, but nonetheless, people took notice when someone beat the drums. And what I mean is if, of course, you are not at the capital and beat the drums at your local magistrate's office, they'll be heard there. If someone beats the drum at the palace, that will go straight to the emperor. During the Song Dynasty, stricter rules were set. Three departments were created to handle these cases. And once the evidence was all gathered, they were then presented to the emperor. There are three types of cases that warranted someone to beat the drums, or three major types. The first was if an imperial entrance test taker accused bribery or favoritism of the examiners. There were specific cases in 973 AD in which a test taker accused the examiner of taking bribes. The case was reopened by the emperor himself. The next type of case is if someone presents evidence of bribery or corruption of officials. And the last is, of course, if someone presents evidence of a wrongful conviction. The drums were used throughout history, and it's pretty cool to see that the drums are used here in the drama. By the Qing Dynasty, so uh, the 17th century to the early 20th century, the drums then were rarely used. There was also a rule that was implemented in which if someone dared or decided to beat the drums, they would first be caned or beaten with 30 strokes. The goal of that was to make it so that whenever someone uh, decided to beat the drums for whatever issue, that issue was worth raising for those beatings. It was kind of to deter kind of riffraff uh, cases and only to have the most um, kind of critical cases be heard at court or at the local magistrate's office. All right, lastly, we have Guanhuotai uh, or Wanghuolo, which is a fire watchtower. So during today's episode, when Madame Qin accused Gu Tingye of setting fire to um, the Gu Manor and um, murdering Aunt Kang, Gu Tingye points out that how is this even possible because there's a Guan Huotai and the uh, firefighters would have seen everything and came to their aid. This is actually quite true um, of having fire watchtowers and firefighters during that time period. During the Song Dynasty, there was indeed a pretty robust firefighting system. In the famous portrait, Qingming Shanghe Tu, or along the river during the Qingming Festival, you'll clearly see a fire watchtower in the painting. 
The painting by Zhang Zoduan and completed in the late 11th century is one of the most famous Chinese paintings ever painted. It depicted the Qingming Festival and is praised for its depictions of the city during that time period. So by seeing that watchtower, you can see that um, the fire watchtower was pretty, was pretty crucial and ubiquitous during, to life during that time. As mentioned during the episode, not only was there a fire watchtower, there were also dedicated firefighters to combat fires in case of emergency. According to Stone Dynasty records, for major city streets, a fire station was set up every 300 meters. Firefighters were prepped and ready to fight the fires on seconds notice. Pretty similar to what we have now. Pretty cool, right? Okay, that covers our uh, historical analysis for today. Let me move on to book differences. It'll be nice and easy because almost everything in this episode deviates from the book. The Wang family does not go to court, nor does Madame Qin. Man Yang is also not in the picture as well. This is all uh, to kind of bring to a head the conflicts aimed towards Gu Tingye. Personally, I don't particularly like the direction the drama went for these last couple of episodes, but I understand why they did it. They had to close out several loose strands, or else if they followed the book, we could have easily gotten like 30 more episodes. Not that I'm complaining. Um, well, I wish we got 30 more episodes, but I'm pretty happy <laughs> with what we got. And that is a wrap for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you are looking for a platform to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., take a look at our sponsor, Jubao TV, where you can stream Chinese dramas and movies online through their streaming platform, Jumo, XUMO, or else on TV via Xfinity and Cox Contour. The shows and movies are all free and they have English subtitles as well. The music you heard today is the piece called Lan by Bing Jiu Wan Yujun and performed by Karen. We will catch you all in the next episode.